Turn in your Bibles to uh, Matthew 13. Matthew 13. It's been a long time coming, right? We finally got to 13 last week, and I was so excited to actually get to Matthew 13, but only covered a very short portion of it because everything that led up to it took some time. It took Sundays and Wednesdays, and we're finally here. And I was trying to set it up where you would start to see all of the differences, all of the uh, things that we are to rightly divide. The title of this series has been Rightly Dividing the Word of Truth, and you need to be able to make distinctions between things so you won't be confused. The thing of it is, Matthew 13, these mystery parables were designed to confuse the people of that time, the first four of them, and then the disciples were talked to in private, and the, the next three parables, so they've got four parables that we're going to go over, then the three, and the three that are at the end were, were talked, uh, Jesus talked to his disciples, but the multitude had been sent away. Now, to set this up, like I need to set it up anymore, but yeah, I do. Remember, Adam surrendered his sovereignty to Satan a long time ago. God started over again with a man named Abraham, and I'm going to quickly go over a whole bunch of stuff, real quick, I'm gonna, as fast as I can. Y'all know one of my favorites is John Phillips. All right, think about Abraham. God's starting over with him. Now, I'm going to be reading, and I'm going to throw some, some things in there as I go, but this should only take about 11 minutes and 30 seconds to read through this, and then we'll be in the Scripture. Okay? So I'm going to read fast. In the process of time, God began, began all over again with a man called Abraham. When he called him, he promised to make of him a great nation. In essence, he brought into being a new nation over which Satan had no prince. Instead, God put Michael, the archangel, over the nation of Israel, which developed from Abraham's seed. Michael is called the prince that standeth for thy people. You get that out of uh, Daniel chapter 10 and 12 and out of Revelation chapter 12. God entered into a treaty relationship with Abraham and the nation developed through him. Israel, indeed, is the only country on earth that enjoys a treaty relationship with God. Despite all of Israel's failures as a nation, that treaty relationship holds solid for the simple reason that it was absolutely unconditional. Israel was to be a theocratic kingdom under the direct rule of heaven. Yeah, all of what I've been doing over the last several weeks has been, you should be picking up on this, uh, how this is playing out. It was raised up and ordained to bear witness to, the, to all other nations of the world of the nature, listen to this, nature, character, wisdom, love, and power of God. That was the purpose of it. 
in time, the kingdom purposes of heaven in relation to earth were advanced by the enthronement of David as Israel's king and the founding of a dynasty that in time would produce the Messiah, the Son of God himself. Much of the history of the monarchy is taken up with the dismal failure of Israel and Judah's kings. You know, there was no good kings on the Israel side, but in Judah there was a few. Nevertheless, God pursued his purpose of bringing his own son into the world as part of David's line, to be David's son and David's lord. Pretty interesting, right? David's son and David's lord. In the fullness of time, the Messiah, the promised Messiah, was born of David's seed in David's city. He was announced to the nation by his God-sent herald, John the Baptist, who announced to the people that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. Remember, Matthew is all about kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven. Five times he mentions kingdom of God. You don't see kingdom of heaven in any of the other gospels. It's only for Matthew. It's for the Jewish people. The kingdom of heaven was right there, ready to be set up. Jesus the king was there. They violently took him, falsely accused him, hung him on a cross. They crucified him. So the kingdom of heaven was put on hold. And this chapter 13 of Matthew explains it so well. All right, so John the Baptist announced that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. John called the people to repentance and exhorted them to prepare their hearts and lives for the expected establishment of the kingdom. You know, the Jewish nation, all the prophets, they, they talked about this happening for all those years. But they never saw the mystery kingdom. They didn't see the mystery of the church. They didn't see that. Jesus began his ministry by first defeating Satan in the wilderness. That was We did a, pretty much a whole sermon on that, right? Or two. He then set about preparing the nation of Israel for the setting up of the kingdom. He proclaimed the laws of the kingdom in the famous Sermon on the Mount. Remember, I wasn't going to do that. Ah, we're skipping 5, 6, and 7, only to come back next Sunday, and I preached on chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. He manifested his power in an astonishing and seemingly endless series of miracles. We went over that on Wednesday, I think. This past, not this past Wednesday, but the Wednesday before, all the miracles in 8 and 9? Or was that last Sunday? That was last Sunday, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, it had to be because I remember seeing y'all's faces and what y'all thought about uh, all, the, all the pigs running down the steep bank and committing hogicide. Yeah. Uh, miracles after miracles in 8 and 9. And then he sent sending out his disciples two by two. And how in Matthew he said, don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to the city of the Samaritans. Only the lost sheep of Israel. You don't see that in any of the other gods. The kingdom of heaven is different than the kingdom of God. All right, uh, we had where the religious establishment of the day, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, even the Herodians, bad news. The, the, the Pharisees were... Uh, very religious and legalistic. The Sadducees, they were what you would see in a liberal church today, just letting things go, not standing on the Word of God. The Herodians were very secular, worldly stuff. 
So all of that stuff was going on. The devil, uh, the miracles were given credit to the devil, and Jesus said, you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit because you're saying what I do, the miracles that I do, you're giving credit to the devil. Unpardonable sin. Very scary stuff. This rejection of Christ and his kingdom could only have one ending, the cross. Moreover, this rejection of their Messiah brought down his curse on their heads because of what they had just did with the blaspheming of the Holy Ghost. A crisis had come. The kingdom of heaven went underground. God's plans and purposes centered in, that, that were centered in, in the nation of Israel were postponed. If you go back and read Daniel chapter 9, read the whole chapter of 9, you will see the 70 weeks of Daniel, which is 70 weeks of 7 years, and 7 times 70 is 490 years. It explains it. If you have a Schofield Bible, which I know a lot of you do, you have the old Schofield with the 1917 notes. I didn't realize how much was there. I mean, I taught the whole book of Daniel at the jail. I don't remember reading those notes. because I had a Schofield Bible when I did that. And it goes into really great detail of breaking down the, uh, the nation being released from captivity, going back to their homeland and starting to rebuild the wall, starting the rebuilding of the temple, and the dates all line up, and you have the first 49 years, and then you had the 434. It all adds up to 483 years, which is seven shy of 490. So the, so the nation of Israel lived all of that only to, as Jesus enters, his triumphal entry, he enters in, and he, at that point, they start conspiring how they're going to take him. So the Jewish time period comes to a stop when they kill the king. We're missing seven years of the 490 years as prophesied in Daniel. That's the Great Tribulation. So in between that is the church age. And we've been going along for what, 2,000 years? That's the mystery that was hid from the ages that we're in right now. The Babylonian captivity ended the Old Testament monarchy. That was when the time of the Gentiles started. It ends when Christ returns and takes his true church out of here. Israel, however, retained its spiritual sovereignty for a while. He lost, lost his political sovereignty. No more kings. And then it held its spiritual sovereignty for a while until they crucified Christ. Then they lost it. But what happened? The church came in. The church, the dispensation of grace came in. And that's what we've been living under for the last 2,000 years. So it's mainly Gentile. It's not the nation of Israel. Even though the nation of Israel, there's plenty of people and we see it in the early church that there was lots of uh, Jews that were in the apostle Paul. He was Saul of Tarsus. He was miraculously changed, and then he was a believer. He was persecuting this new church, and then after that, he became the lead guy going out into all the nations trying to get people to come to Christ. We, you, you know that very well. In AD 70, 
Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was destroyed as well. And then by AD 135, uh, at the time of the Bar Kokhba rebellion, everything was over for the nation of Israel, and they were scattered all over the world. It was these drastic and far-reaching changes in mind that the Lord Jesus adopted a new method of teaching. God's plan to set up the kingdom of heaven on earth was to be postponed for some indeterminate time, now going on, you know, 2,000 years. During this age, he would be occupied with a new entity altogether unknown and undreamed of in Old Testament times, the church. It was for this reason that the Lord began a form of teaching in the mystery parables in which he purposely sought to conceal truth from the world while revealing it to his own disciples. He clearly states his purpose in Matthew 13, which contains a series of seven parables. In these parables, the Lord teaches that during this present age, things would be quite different from the way they were in the past. The kingdom of heaven was still going to exist, but it would exist in mystery form. Most people would have no comprehension whatsoever of what was really going on. Most of us don't. You don't realize what's actually going on right now. Henceforth, there would be three separate entities in the world. The Gentile nations, which would dominate the globe. The exiled nation of Israel, buried, remember this, buried among the Gentile nations and blind to spiritual truth. We get in these parables, that's when we come back to you. Uh, and the church, the mystical body of Christ, made up of Jews and Gentiles without racial or religious distinction. So once the Jew or a Gentile comes into the church and are born again, there's no difference. But it's predominantly Gentile in, comparison, in composition and character. One problem we face in interpreting these parables lies in a failure to distinguish between the kingdom of heaven and the church of Christ. The church has a relationship to the kingdom of God and to the kingdom of heaven. It is, however, quite unique. Believers in the Lord Jesus in this age, for instance, are in the kingdom of God, but they are also the mystical body of Christ, which sets them apart from all other entities in the universe. Here is an important distinction, however. We are born again into the kingdom. We are baptized into the church. Jesus said to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Being born again, says Peter, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. That's in 1 Peter 1, 23. We are born into the kingdom. We are baptized into the church. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 14. Insofar as the church has succumbed to Satan's attacks during this age, it has become what we call Christendom. The big, huge organization of Christianity. There's all kinds of cults. I mean, bad cults that are part of what we call Christendom. We have seen some horrible things. If you do, if you study the history of the Roman Catholic Church, if you watch the movie Luther, you will see some of the horrible things that they did. They did not want people to have the Word of God. Told them they, if they even had it, they wouldn't understand it. That you had to go to the priest, and the priest would go to God for you. 
they manipulated, they took money from people, they lied. It was a horrible thing. Now, the Catholic Church did some amazing things. Hospitals around the world, orphanages. I mean, they did some great things, but they did some terrible things as well. That's part of Christendom. It is this failure that is emphasized in the first four parables. Now, this, if, you know, if you've heard preaching, if you've read stuff on these parables, you're going to see something totally different today than what normally has been taught. In this respect, the church is, a big, is as big a failure in this age as Israel was in the previous age. It is in these first four parables that the history of the kingdom of heaven and of Christ, Christendom run together. So the kingdom of heaven has been put on hold. It's kind of gone underground. The kingdom of heaven is, is, is uh, the time clock has stopped. It's going to start back up with the tribulation. But in the meantime, Christendom and the, the mystery of the kingdom of heaven, they're running along together. The essential difference between Israel... The church and the nations is carefully sorted out for us by the Lord in the last three parables. Before looking at these mystery parables, we might do well to finish the story. All right, hang on. Hang on tight. The mystery phase of the kingdom of heaven will end with the rapture of the church. At that time, Israel will have her spiritual sovereignty restored to her, for the fullness of the Gentiles will have come in. And uh, Paul talks about that in Romans eleven twenty five. God will raise up two witnesses, one of whom will be the old Hebrew prophet Elijah. These two witnesses will win 144,000 Jewish converts who in turn will proclaim the gospel of the kingdom to the unevangelized multitude still on the earth. They will penetrate all nations with the message of a soon coming king and reap an enormous harvest. Those saved at this time will be will not be in the church. See, they won't be preaching the gospel of grace. They'll be preaching the kingdom, which was what Jesus preached in the Sermon on the Mount. Those saved in this time will not be in the church. They will be in the kingdom. That was at hand 2,000 years ago. But Jesus, he's still not sitting on the throne of David. But he will. The discredited apostate professing church will still be on earth. Imagine all the shocked faces when the rapture happens. There are going to be a whole lot of fake churches, Christians, that call themselves Christians that are still going to be here, and they're going to be shocked. All right, the true church having been raptured to heaven, the harlot church will have been, in effect, spewed out of Christ's mouth. Remember in Laodicea and Romans, I mean uh, Revelation 3. The whole corrupt religious system known as Christendom will find its headquarters in Rome. It will ally itself with the Antichrist, the papacy, thus having to get, hoping to get, it, get back its lost power. The Vatican will think it can use the Antichrist. Instead, he, the, the, the Antichrist, will use the Vatican and then destroy the apostate church utterly, root and branch. You can get that out of Revelation 17. All right, I'm almost done with this part. The Lord will return at the end of this apocalyptic age, regaining control of the planet at the Battle of Armageddon, the Antichrist and his false prophet will be cast into the lake of fire and the devil will be chained in the abyss. 
the times of the Gentiles will have come to an end. The kingdom of heaven will then be restored to Israel. The Lord will sit on the throne of David and usher in the millennial age. The kingdom will have come. That's a, that's a prayer that we pray a lot. Thy kingdom come on earth. That's when it will finally happen. We've been praying for it for how long? And one day it's actually going to be set up. It will last for 1,000 years. According to Revelation 20, verses 1 through 10, it will be terminated by a final rebellion instigated by Satan when he is released from the abyss. Why? Hey, God knows better than me, but why release him? But he's going to be released. His followers will then be overthrown, and Satan will be cast into the lake of fire, and his mischief-making in the universe will be terminated forever. God's kingdom purposes with relation to the earth will be over. The kingdom of heaven phase of the kingdom of God will be ended the Lord will surrender the kingdom to his Father, and the kingdom of heaven will be no more. But the kingdom of God will continue forever and ever. All will be related then to a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21, 1-8. through 8. That is the background of the seven mystery parables. Now let us briefly examine them. And I'm not going to read. I'll go back to this, but we're going to read those parables right now. We talked about the sower, the seed, and the soil last week. And I, I think, and then I don't have to explain it because the Lord explains it in here. Notice that he, he explains the parable of the sower, and then later, when he's just with his disciples, he's going to interpret the parable of the wheat and the tares. He didn't interpret that with the multitude, but he interprets it and then you don't get the interpretation of the others. And there's a, there's a really uh, good reason why he interprets those two. And there's some differences in the seed and what the seed represents and the sower. All right, so uh, let's read. Remember the first verse of chapter 13. I read it last week. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. Very deep meaning with that. Sounds simple. But Jesus is, this is, this is that transition point that we've been talking about. The transition from kingdom of heaven to kingdom of God, transition from the time of the, of the Jewish nation coming to a standstill and the children of God being raised up and to be part of the church. Out of the house, the house represents Israel. He's, he's, he's not going to say, just go to the lost sheep of Israel anymore. He's going to say, go out into the Gentile nations. The sea represents the Gentile nations. How do you get to the Gentile nations? You get on a boat, go through the sea, and you get to them. That's just type and picture in the Bible. These words mean every word is important. Don't take them out. So the great multitudes were gathered together. He, that's when he went into the ship. He sat in the ship, and everybody was sitting on the seashore. And he tells this parable of the sower and the seed and the soil. There's four types of soil. I went into that in, in some pretty good detail last week. I don't want to touch on it too much because uh, we're going to run out of time and I need to get through the rest of these. So let's go over to 10. 13.10. And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speaketh thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath 
To him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not. And hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have been closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. That can be to any one of us who are born again. If you're not born again, you're going to be confused. You're not going to see. You're not going to hear. The disciples were were being set up to where they were going to be the ones who after... Jesus dies on the cross. They're going to be ones going out and spreading the gospel. And he's helping them understand that what they've been waiting for for all those years and what all their prophets had told them was going to be put on hold and this mystery was going to be revealed to them. And these mystery parables are, are showing it. So the sower, it's not just Jesus, it's all of us. The seed is the same thing. It's the Word of God, and we are to go and take it and to throw seed out. But the problem is it lands on the trampled down soil where it just don't take root, and the birds of the air come along and snatch it up. So any good word that's preached, any, anything anybody shares with you that's just good godly stuff, the demons are sent out and to snatch it all up before it gets into your heart and takes root. That's just the design of it all. The uh, shallow soil, it's on top of rock. That soil will heat up faster than all the other soil, so that uh, will germinate quicker. But when you get on into the season, there's no root. There's there's people who will come into a church service that are very impressionable. They might hear the word. They might say, I want to join up, and they, they act like they're all in, but they're in that stony soil. They're... They, they sprout up quick, but they have no root, and when bad times come, when persecutions come, they, they run away from it. They're not real. And then the uh, cares of the world, the thorny soil, the cares of the world, the riches of this world, or the, process, or the uh, being poor and not having anything, all the cares of the world can choke it out. That happens with kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God just the same. It's, it's, it's parallel. Where did I stop reading? 18, hear ye, therefore, the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. Okay, I've explained all this all the way over to 23. Some seed lands on good ground, and it will produce. You will know them by the fruit that they produce. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. All right, so now we're at the parable of the tares. This is 24. The tares and the wheat. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. 
But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. Now the tares were as a plant, it's a grassy plant that is kind of like a rye plant. And when you first plant it and it comes up, it looks a whole lot like wheat. It's actually a poisonous plant. So when they first come up, they all look the same. You don't know the difference. So in the kingdom of heaven and in the church age, you can have children of God sitting in a sanctuary and the children of the devil sitting there looking just like the children of God. Not just in a church building, but you know, as you go into organizations, big churchy organizations, what we call Christendom, the devil is busy sowing his seed as well. When the wheat comes up, if you wait long enough, the wheat will actually produce its fruit. Where that other plant, the tares, the fruit on it is not good at all. And it's very pitiful. When it actually comes to fruit, when it's time for the harvest, you can really tell which one's which. But up until then, they look the same. We are described as wheat. The true children of God are described as wheat. As you grow up, you know, the nation of Israel is very associated with the earth, setting up an earthly kingdom, heaven on earth. Israel, think earth, and tied to the earth, the land. Christians who are in the church age, we are referred to as wheat. The root system on wheat is very small because wheat's an annual. Wheat is planted, it is grown, it produces fruit, and then as it's producing the fruit, the roots are dwindling. Our hold on this earth shouldn't be tight. We should be ready to go. It's, it's awesome that we're referred to as wheat. We're not, we're not to hold on to earthly things. We're not to be carnally minded. We are to be like wheat and grow loosening our hold on the earth to produce that fruit that the Lord says will be gathered into his barn. So 27, So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? So, is it our job to go out and try to figure out who's not of the kingdom and to try to uproot them? By the time you realize that you have wheat and tares in your field, the root system of both have intertwined. If you go pulling up the bad ones, you're going to uproot the good ones as well. So we're not to do that. It's not for us to judge. Jesus said he's going to send his angels one day and they're going to do the separating at the right time and the tares are going to be bound up and set aside for burning but the wheat is going to be taken to the Lord and be put in his barns. That's what's going to happen with this. We got to live with it. We can't go out and try to fix things by forcefully removing does that make sense? Now, like I said last week, or whenever I said it, 
we, when we have somebody who claims to be a brother in Christ, somebody who's part of the church, and they are doing things that are clearly not biblical, we are required to judge that. But that's the people who call themselves brothers in Christ. They call themselves members of the church, and they are doing something that the Bible clearly says is wrong. We are to go to them and talk to them about it. And if they won't listen, you get other elders, you go and you talk to them some more, and finally, if there's nothing, you just got to tell them, you know, you can't be here. That's just the way the Bible tells us to do it. Paul got aggravated with the Corinthian church because they had not judged a person in the church that was bringing corruption in. If you knowingly have someone like that, you have to address it. I'm not saying that you don't do that. But what I'm saying is there's plenty of people in the church as Christendom, not the kingdom of God. A person who's truly born again is in the kingdom, but you can have an unsaved person and a saved person sitting side by side, and to the human eye, you can't tell the difference as far as what kingdom they're in. I can't pluck out the one who's not. It's not my job to do that. You see, you see the difference and how important you got to make that distinction. This is way bigger than just a church building and the people who come to church. This is Christian dumb. This is, this is Jesus telling everybody that, look, I'm putting my people. See, in the, in, the, in the sower parable, the seed is the word of God, but in this parable, the seed is God's men and women who are doing his work. That's why that this parable is, is interpreted later on in 13. It's interpreted because we need to see those differences. Only about, about five, ten more minutes, and we'll be, we'll be done until next, not next week, but the week after. Maybe Wednesday nights. So I'm going to quickly go through the rest of them. We're not going to be able to read it all, but I want to touch on each of the others. The grain of mustard seed would be the next one. You've all heard about you know, having faith the size of mustard seed. Now, we know that the mustard seed is a very, very small seed, and when it's planted, it grows into a shrub, and it's one of the biggest shrubs ever. It'll get up to possibly, in its, in its right climate, it can get to up to 20 feet tall. But it's still a shrub. But what does this parable talk about? This parable says that it grows into a, a huge tree with branches spreading all over the place and the birds of the air. Now, remember what the birds did in the first parable? Now, we're not talking about sparrows. God's concerned with the sparrows. Uh, a, a hen that covers the eggs with her wing. I mean, there's great illustrations of birds and good things in the Bible. But when you see in parables the birds of the air come and land, it's always something bad when, it, when that is being talked about. Birds in general, that's demons coming and snatching up the good word. Okay? That was the first one. Now this one, the birds of the air will come and land in the branches thereof. The church has been turned into something it was never meant to be. Y'all have seen it. You've seen religious and all the mess. It's a big mess. The Roman Catholic Church, of course, is the biggest example we have. Martin Luther broke away from the uh, Roman Catholic Church, started the Reformation, started Protestants. That's what we are. We're, we're, we're uh, from that. A mustard seed is never to grow 
into a huge tree. That goes against nature. Now, it's, it's one of the greatest shrubs. And that little grain of mustard seed, that faith, will grow into something impressive. But it shouldn't be humongous, which is what it has become. I hope that makes sense. Okay, so that's, that's the, uh, the mustard seed. Then, over in 33, the leaven. Another parable spake he unto them, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. Now, people will say, well, this, the kingdom, oh, this is the gospel. This is, you know, you just put a little gospel in over here, and it'll just take off, and, and it'll permeate everything. Sounds good. But that has nothing to do with the, what this is talking about. Leaven is never good in the Bible. Now, it makes bread, sourdough bread, way better than bread. If you ever have unleavened bread, it's not tasty. Uh, you know, when, when a preacher preaches the true word of God that doesn't have... See, I can bring in all kinds of stuff that will be very uh, good for people to hear. I, I can bring in things that will make you want to listen more and you just... I, I can please everybody if I, did, if I just brought in corruption brought in the ways of the world and was forgiven of everything and let everything go, I, I, would, I would just, but the true believers would hate it. But, all, but I can create a, a megachurch and have all kinds of people come if, you're, if you can play with words and bring corruption in. Leaven is corruption in the Bible. It was not always going to be great to listen to. It'll hurt. It will be, ugh. I mean, think about it. When Jesus showed up, it was not a lot of good news, and he was rejected big time, and he was, he was thrown on a cross and, and killed. Okay, so leaven is bad. The birds flying in and landing on the branches of the big tree that was developed from something that should have just been a large shrub is bad. The three parables that he spoke just to his disciples, a treasure hid in the field. Again, all right, it said in 44, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. I've heard people say, well, uh, they found Jesus, and they went and they sold everything they had so they can go buy him. No, that is totally wrong. It says Jesus... Finding the nation of Israel, that's his treasure. He has put it on hold. It's gone underground, right? The Jewish nation is going to be hid in amongst the Gentile nation for a period of time. So Jesus is the one who buys. Jesus is the one who pays a great price. We don't. Because the very next parable is, uh, and again... Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. What does the pearl represent? The church, mostly made up of Gentiles. Where do you get the Gentiles? By going into the sea. Where do you find a pearl? It's in the sea. The nation of Israel is hid in the earth. Remember, nation of Israel, a house on the earth, foundation. They're grabbing a hold of the earth. It's all about the kingdom coming to heaven. I mean, the, the kingdom of heaven coming to earth. You see the difference here? 
Jesus has hid his treasure because he can't take it yet. And he's coming back one day to, to, to dig it up and, and take it back. That's why I've heard preachers say that the church is spiritual Israel. The church is spiritual Israel. No. Israel is Israel, and it will never change. We're something totally different. You've got to understand the difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God to get that. We are the Gentile church. We are uh, totally different than Israel. Israel's been put on hold, but he's coming back to get them. And it won't be the same as what it was before, but he's not giving up on them. He's coming back to get them. The pearl is the church, and he died on a cross. He did all the buying. We don't do the buying. We have to receive it as a free gift, or you don't have it. If you try to buy it, you don't have it. And then the last one was uh, the, the, the drag net. The, the net that's cast out, that's in the, the seven-year tribulation time when all those 144,000 are out ministering. They're, at the end of that, they're, gonna, they're, it's gonna, they're bringing in all kinds, and the angels will separate. Just like the wheat and the tares are going to be separated by the angels, at that time, there will be another net that will pull in good and bad. The angels will do the separating. Okay? That's didn't go nowhere near like I wanted it to today, but uh, that's, that's the seven parables. We'll, we can get into them a little bit more in detail on Wednesdays and possibly on Sundays, but as you can see, those parables have been totally misrepresented by many people with good intentions. I know it's not a real good feel-good message, but it's, it's just the truth. And we need to understand that we're in those times. We're, I think we are in, we're in that Laodicean church age when you go through the seven churches in Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, and you get to the Laodicean church age, if you look at all the seven churches and how they're in order in the Bible, you will see in Thyatira the woman teaching and the Jezebel and all that. You, you, you can see how the church history, Christendom, has gone through all these different stages and I think in Thyatira, you see the Reformation happen. And then you have the Protestants, and it goes all the way into Laodicea. All seven churches of Asia Minor, they were churches at that time. But they each represented a different church age. And we are in the last church age of Laodicea. We're neither hot nor cold. And Jesus says he's going to spew us out of his mouth. That's where we're at. I think we're at, we're at the end. How much longer? No one knows, but I'm feeling a sense of urgency to get the word out. Prophecy weighing on me. It's we have little time, and we need to make the most of our time that we have. I don't like being pulled in different directions and all the things that have been going on trying to distract us from what we're supposed to be seeking. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. And Father, I pray that we do have eyes that can see, that you, you, would, you would 
help us to understand that, that the Spirit will get in us and cultivate that ground so that the seed will fall on good, cultivated, deep soil and that it will come up. We will live a life for you. We will produce fruit for you, Father. And Father, I pray that we do not be deceived by the evil one who's at work doing what he does. Father, that our eyes will be open, that we will see, our ears will be open, that we will hear, and we will not be led astray. And Father, that we will do everything for you, and that we will have a heart that hurts for the lost. And Father, that we will be your salt on this earth, and we will be your light in this world. In Christ's name we pray, amen.